But in Psalm 91, it says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor, by, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will, be, I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So as we get going to our... Uh, study of his word we might remember these words that are found in in psalm 91 because we're going to be looking at the title of the message overcoming temptations and we know the incident the, the what had happened in matthew and um, mark and luke about the temptation of jesus christ where the devil took him and um, tempted him so we're going to go to matthew chapter 4 we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 and doing a study on it but as we begin think about the 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 psalm that we just read and think about what our goal should be and that is to put god first and to think about what he's he teaches us and to to be instructed in so if we keep these things in mind the temptations that we have to go through on a daily basis we'll be able to go through those temptations a lot easier we will we'll go through temptation you can guarantee that because the word of god tells us that we will so introduction to this study temptation may suggest a taste a testing or an incentive to sin or if you might say a motivation to sin. Jesus was tempted in both of these ways, in testing and in an incentive or motivation to sin. Incentive to sin can be from within or it can be from without. It could work, that temptation could work within us, in our minds, in our hearts, whatever that might be, but we can also be tempted from outside. Somebody, a friend, family member or whatever that may want to tempt us or test us in something that we shouldn't be looking into. 
So it can be from within or without. But since Jesus was complete, completely without sin in himself, he could be tempted in this sense only by direct attack against Satan. Jesus Christ had no sin in him. He was perfect. We have sin within us, so we can be tempted in different ways. He could not be tempted with sin from within. <clears throat> Despite all that Satan could do, our Savior remained without sin. All the temptation that he went through in that time, he could not. <clears throat> he remained without sin. As we look in verse number 1 in chapter 4 of Matthew, it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now we know, if you read back in um, uh, the first three chapters, we know that John the Baptist publicly identified Jesus Christ as the Messiah at the time of his baptism. We won't go back and read that. You can see that. Following this event, Jesus was led <clears throat> into the wilderness. Uh, Mark says that he was driven into the wilderness or the desert country there. Mark chapter 1 and verse number 12. He kind of put it in a different way. He was driven that away. And the Spirit of the Lord did take him. Because it says in, in Matthew, it says, Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness. So it is the Spirit of God that led him into this place to be tempted to go through this, the, um, the trials and tribulations that he was to go through. It was the Spirit of God that drove him from for the declared purpose of to be tempted of the devil. Now, both Mark and Luke make it clear that the tempting continued during the whole period of those, those 40 days so that the three temptations described were the height of a long struggle in the wilderness. But we see in, in these things that... Um, that um, this was 40 days and 40 nights. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered, as we see in verse number two. So he was, if, if you stop and think about 40 days of fasting, it was um, uh, a long time. But in verses two through 10, in this same verse, Luke describes basically the same three temptations but he, he does it in a different order and with, a, with some differences in wording. But remember, Satan's three lines of attack agree with John's understanding of the evils of the world. Those three lines of attack are the lust of, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You can read that verse in 1 John 2.16. We can also see in the Garden of Eden, Satan led the woman to see in the forbidden fruit that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, found in Genesis 3.6. Those same three attacks, those same three lines of attack were back in the Garden of Eden also. In each of these three temptations of Jesus, notice a threefold event that takes place. First, a situation offering a strong incentive. And we'll see that in these temptations. But secondly, a fitting but wicked proposal from Satan. And third, 
Jesus' rejection of every temptation with an appropriate reference from the Word of God. That's the threefold ideas here and the things that that were taking place here in this particular temptation of Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, we see in verses 2 through 4 that um, the first temptation that Matthew puts it in here, like I said, Mark does it a a little bit different, uh, or Luke, I'm sorry, has a different, he puts them in different order, but basically the same. But um, the temptation of hunger. Verse number four says, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread. I'm sorry, verse number three. Verse number three. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So we see here that there was a temptation of hunger. And I doubt any of us have ever fasted four days, much less uh, 40 days. Um, we We just don't do it, do we? We eat. We, there's times that we need to eat, and we eat. But we need to notice also um, that <clears throat> that if we were, if we were able to go forty days without eating, or the particular way maybe that you would fast or whatever, that if you did have to go a long time, and but you had the ability to turn stones into bread more than likely we would do it because we would just be hungry because of the sinful life that we lead because of the sin within us. Our sin is going to take over when we're in those particular circumstances. We're going to make that stone into bread so that we can eat. So that's that's our perception of this. Or just what if someone were to offer you some food after that 40 days? You would probably accept that food. Now, there's only one moral problem that you would have. Why do we fast? Why would we be fasting? We would be fasting to have a closer communion with God in our lives. So there's, a, there's that moral uh, um, problem that we would have. You are fasting to commune with God, and under the circumstances to break your fast now would break your communion with God. Satan came to Jesus after the 40 days when he was at his weakest physically. Satan challenges Christ in saying, if thou be the Son of God. Now there's that challenge that that Satan put towards Christ. Christ knew he was the Son of God. Satan knew that he was the Son of God. But he challenges Christ to... to, um, to make these stones bread so that he would be able to satisfy that need that he had at that time. How many fools have fallen for Satan's challenges? We fall for them every day, probably. There's times in our lives where we fall for the challenges that Satan puts in front of us or the temptations that he will put in front of us, and we'll fall for those things. Satan was challenging Christ's power in this. 
knowing Jesus could actually make bread out of stones. He was challenging his power. But food for the soul is more important than food for the body, as Christ mentions here in his answer to Satan. Our our physical food is not more important than our spiritual food that we need every day. We need both, granted, but our physical food is not as important as the spiritual food. Food for the soul is more important. Jesus Christ used the word of God for comfort. The body could wait for the food. He was looking and praying to God while he was in this time. and There was a need for food, but he did not want to put that food before Christ, uh, before before, um, uh, before the Lord. <clears throat> the Son of God would rather continue to feast on the words that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That is what he said here. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. This is how we live. The physical food actually gives us physical uh, sustenance. But we actually live by the word of God. That's where we get our spiritual life. That's where we get our everlasting life is from God, from the mouth of God, from his word. Then we see in verses 5 through 7, the tempting of pride. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written, Again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. The holy city, the pinnacle of the temple, all rightfully belong to the Son of God. God owns everything. Jesus Christ has control over everything. This is the second time that Satan said, If thou be the Son of God. If thou be the Son. He's he's trying to get uh, Jesus Christ to have doubts of being the Son of God. But... He, is, he was appealing to, to the uh, pride of Christ's lordship. But the Lord had come to the perfect servant and especially to be the obedient servant of his heavenly father. Jesus Christ was not there to serve Satan. He was there to serve God in whatever capacity that God would lead him to do. And we know that no misuse of partially quoted scriptures, and these scriptures were found back in Psalm 91 that we read, verses 11 and 12, and no partially quoted scripture could lead Christ to set a bad example for his followers. He was, he was setting forth our example in this instance of his temptation. We can learn from this in our spiritual lives. We can learn from what Christ has given us as we can the whole word of God. His answer to misuse scripture was scripture correctly quoted and correctly applied. Is what he answered. It is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Will not tempt him. Next, we see the tempting of desire. Verses 8 through 10. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world 
and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So he's trying to tempt him as far as seeing the desire of all the vast things of the world that according to Satan thinks it's his, but it's not. He says, all things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Those weren't there for Satan to give away. Those are already God's. It is not, uh, Satan does not have control of those things. Now he is the prince of the world, but he is that that is, that is uh, against all the things of the Lord. So we see in these verses, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords are proper titles for our Lord and Savior, but it was God's purpose that he come to his throne by way of the cross of Calvary. That's how God purposed him to sit on his throne. He was to go through the crucifixion and the cross of Calvary so that he would be put in that high position, that so-called high priest, that was not Satan's ability to put him. He was trying to get him to look at the kingdoms of the world and the, the glory of them, and that I can give you these things. He was trying to put his, uh, his mind in doubt of what uh, God had already, or that he already knew, uh, that he knew of the world and, the, and these things. So, <clears throat> Satan was offering something that he was unable to give, like I said. Satan offered him a shortcut to glory without suffering. So he was going to say, you, I'll put you over all this. But that's not the way God had specified that Jesus Christ would become the high priest. It would have been a very tempting position, a proposition, I mean, very tempting. If it were one of us, it would seem very um, good thing that we could look at. But it wasn't for us. But there were a couple of drawbacks in this particular temptation. The offer had a condition that was given by Satan here. And that is to worship Satan. And if the offer was agreed, agreed, accepted, it would expose the rebellion of Christ against God. So we see that this stipulation was, I'll give you this. If you'll worship me, if you'll bow down to me, then if Christ did that, then it would be the rebellion to God for Christ of what God had put him on this earth to do. God is a jealous God. He's not going to take his people to um, um, looking at other gods, other things that we are to idol and things like that he's a jealous god and he will not tolerate any challengers and satan is a challenger we know that but if we worship the true god we are commanded to serve him only the word of god tells us throughout the you can go through the old testament and see so many places where god tells israel 
in the places that you serve me because I am the true God. I am that God. I am the God. He says, I am that I am. And that's what we are to do is to only worship God and not all the feeble little gods that we can make up within ourselves. Then we see verse number 11. Then the devil leaveth him and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Having failed in his attacks, the devil departed for a season. That for a season is an undetermined time, a, a, a little season, so to speak. You can see that in Luke number uh, four thirteen. But that tells me that Satan planned to be back. He had tempted Christ, and he had done this, and he saw that he wasn't going to be uh, 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 victorious in this. But he says he leaveth him for a little while there. The devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. But it is for, it says, for a season over in Luke. <clears throat> angels then came and ministered to Jesus, maybe supplying him with food and drink. We're not sure. Nothing tells us that that's what they ministered him to. It could be. We can just assume that he, since he was so hungry that maybe they supplied that food and drink. In Hebrews 1.14, we are told that the angels are ministering spirits. And I looked that up and it is publicly benefiting angels. That is, the angels benefit God's people whose mission is to minister for the heirs of salvation. An heir of salvation is an inheritor of salvation. It is unseen, it is unseen help. We don't see the angels, but they're among us. And protection, the angels give us. And um, we are not to worship these angels. Like I said, they're among us. They're there. We don't see them. But they do minister to us in some capacity. <clears throat> but instead, we should give thanks to God for them. Thank Him for the angels that do watch over us and uh, protect us and uh, uh, keep us out of harm from time to time. Keep us out of things that we don't need to be in. Keep us out of things of the temptations of the world. That's what they're there to do, and that's we do know that they are there. Then check over into Hebrews. Look over in Hebrews here. Look at just a few verses. Hebrews chapter 4. Then look at verses 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Everlasting salvation is secure to all those whose faith is in Jesus Christ, based entirely upon his person and his work. The importance of his shed blood, his sinless life, and his sovereign grace give full assurance for all who put their trust in him. We'll see that in these verses here. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. We see the victorious Jesus Christ in this verse. Our great high priest has opened the road for us to heaven. This is no toll road. You know, we have toll roads on this, 
where we, if we want to travel through from one distance to another, you have to pay a toll. Well, the, the road to heaven has already been paid for. Jesus Christ paid our debt. There is no toll to pay. The price had been paid in full with the blood of the Lamb. We can be sure that both the offering and the offerer are acceptable to God, being Jesus Christ, because He is the Son of God. That price was paid, and that price was accepted of God. Verse 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And we've already touched on that. Christ did not have any sin. He could not sin because he was God. Yet the same high priest is not too high to understand our limitations. We know that Christ knows each and every one of us, our abilities, our inabilities, our limitations, what we're able to do. But he is also a man. He lived as we lived, was tempted as we are tempted, but he had no sin. He can fully sympathize with us in our infirmities because he was man. He was that man, that God man, but he is sufficient to overcome those temptations. He cannot submit to those temptations because he is God. Verse number 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. <clears throat> Jesus helps us out, doesn't he? Now we have a friend who knows us and understands us and loves us in spite of our inabilities. He still loves us. He still watches over us. He still cares for us, knowing that we're not able to do everything exactly right as he would as he would want us to do <clears throat> also he not only desires to help us he is in a position he is in a position to help us our beloved friend is on the throne of grace we must approach him boldly and that is with assurance and he has mercy and grace to give and he will surely help us in our time of need all we have to do is ask he said that verse, it says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. We're to pray for our needs. We're to pray for our inabilities. We're to pray for our temptations that we go through. We're to pray for the things that we need in our lives, both spiritually and physically. Yes, we are to do that. But we're to look to Christ in, for that, that uh, help that we need from time to time. Then as we close here, we're going to look at Hebrews 2, verse number 18. Hebrews 2, 18 says, For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Now, when I look up this word suffered, it means experienced. For in that he himself hath experienced being tempted, he was he was experienced in being tempted because we see it in the Word of God. <clears throat> the word succor means to help. He is able to help them that are tempted. So he is he knows what we go through in temptation. He's there to help us 
in that temptation. We can always be sure that Jesus can give us the very help we need because he has experienced the same kind of trial or temptation that we may go through. It is with his help that whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. That's found in 1 John 5 and verse number 4. But when we're tempted, <coughs> there's times of temptation. There's times of problems in our life. But as the Word of God says, we're to look to Him. We're to follow His example. When He, when he was tempted by, the, by Satan, every time He went to the Word of God. Every time that we're tempted, we should go to the Word of God to get the answer that we need to help us through that time of trouble and that time of temptation. May the Lord bless His Word.